So we've got to start with Bible trivia, because this is a Bible church. And in a Bible church, if we don't know what's going on in the Bible, then Neil's not doing his job. So, so, do, so, so do Neil proud here. Uh, I've got I to ask you a couple questions. Number one, and just go ahead and raise your hands when you have the answer. I know it's a little bit, um, you know, kind of scary because there's a lot of people around, but I got a lot of good Easter candy last week, and I may give you some of it if you answer correctly. So, all right, first, number one, question number one. Um, why is Jesus executed, according to the Gospels? Who, what, what's his crime? What's his crime? Anybody? Blasphemy, Glenn, that's a chocolate marshmallow egg for you. Not yet. Wait until after the service. Yes, blasphemy, that's right. And um, what is it that uh, Jesus uh, says? Do you remember what he says uh, to get, to get con- condemned for blasphemy? Do you remember what he says? Oh, Doug, yeah. I am, yes. Yes, that's right. I have it written down here. He, he doesn't just stop there. He says, um, let's see, picking up in Mark 14, 61, he says, Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the King? The Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power. That's, that's God, the power of God. And coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, this is, this is the big one. Whoever gets this, uh, gosh, I don't know. I don't have enough candy, but... All right. <laughs> yes. uh, Jesus says he's going to be seated at the right hand of the power. What is... Do you know what he's quoting right there? That's, Jesus is quoting something. Anybody? Oh. O'Neill. I'm going to... I'm going to have to give a negative report. Uh, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 110. Um, this was, let, me, let me read uh, the, the portion that he's quoting. It says, Yahweh, God, says to my master or king or lord, Yahweh says to my master or king, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then... Yahweh sends out from Zion Yahweh's mighty scepter and rules amidst the foes. So it's like God's up there in the, um, in the heavenly throne room, right? Seated there. And he's looking down at Israel's king, right? And, and, and he, says, he says, Israel's king, sit. Sit at my right hand while I, while I make all your enemies your footstool. Now, at the time of Jesus, there is no king. There's King Herod, but he's a puppet king. And so, what Jesus is, what, what, what they understood this psalm to mean is that there is going to finally come someday, someone's going to come with all the power of God. And this will be the true king of Israel. So, Jesus, pretty bold move right here. Jesus is standing up there. He's, he's got his shackles on. He's been spat, spat upon. He's been beaten up a little bit. And he's in front of the chief priests. And they say, So, you're the king. Yes, I am. And I have all the power. Oh. Oh, really? Really, Jesus, you, you have the power? We're going to teach you something about power. Why did I bring this up? I don't know. What, what is my sermon on today? 
Can we? Ah, geez, Colossians. Oh, okay. Well, sorry about that. We had a little detour there, and uh, hopefully at, at some point, what we just went through will have some significance in the rest of the sermon. Yes, what I want you, what I want you to remember, Russ, is that when Jesus is, when we talk about Jesus seated at the right hand, that's code language for power. That's code language for who's got the power. Alright, now, um, we're gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of metaphors today. We're gonna be moving in and out of some passages. I don't want you to get bogged down in any of the details. What I want you to remember is this. Jesus has the power. And when we start believing that, our community will be transformed. Let me say that again. Jesus has the power, and when we believe that, our community is going to be transformed. Okay, let's read the first four verses of Colossians. Oh, I did subtitles too. Don't be fooled. That's my subtitle. That's not in the original Greek. I added that. Uh, you'll see at each of our three, our three um, portions of the sermon, I'll have little subtitles to give you like a flavor of where we are. But let's read together. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things here on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, the reason I like this passage is because on first reading... What it looks like is it's like, oh, you know, don't worry about all the stuff on earth, you know, jobs and, and work and don't, don't just just contemplate the heavens. This sounds a lot like what I do in seminary, uh, you know, philosophize and theologize. And so when I look at this at the, 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 this passage, my first inclination is to think, yes. The next time mom and dad complain to me that I don't have a job and I'm not accomplishing anything with my life, I can just tell them I'm following what Paul says. Right? Mom, dad, I'm sorry. I just... Trying to keep things on... uh, Trying to keep my mind on heavenly things. Sorry. Well, unfortunately, that excuse is not going to work any longer because that is not what Paul is talking about. And what Paul is talking about can be summed up in three words. One of them is a contraction. Don't be fooled. That's what these four verses mean. Don't be fooled. Did you hear it? The things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the real reality, the true truth. And what is the true truth? It's that Christ has the power. See, uh, when we think of heaven, we tend to have like this really big dualism where we think, here's heaven, and that's far away, and it's out there, and here's earth, and that's very close, and, and, we're, and that's where we are. For Paul and for early Jews, that wasn't the way they thought about things. For, for them, heaven and earth were very close together. And, and, and you might even think heaven was just, just beyond what you could see. In, in their worldview, it was above... The, the rain and the clouds and stuff. And it was just farther than, than your eye could see. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, I just want you to see what's really going on. Don't be fooled. 
Don't be fooled. Because, brothers and sisters, the church of Colossae, I know what it's like every day. I know every day money passes through your hands and emblazoned on that is the face of Caesar. And there's a little etching that says, in Caesar we trust. And I know that when you walk into buildings, you see the great one, Caesar, in a statue. And you're asked to bow before him because he is the one who makes your peace and your prosperity possible. He is the one who has saved you, the whole world. And you hear tales of the mighty legions of Caesar crushing all opposition and sending more and more wealth back to the empire. Brothers and sisters at Colossae, I know what it looks like. It looks like Caesar has the power. Every day you are bombarded by these images, and I know that. But what I want you to remember is that they're lies. With the eyes of faith, you can see, seated at the right hand of God, is the Christ, the risen one. Don't be fooled. Right now your life doesn't look like it's glorious. You're, you're poor. You're abused. It, it just doesn't seem like you have any power at all. But just wait, friends. Don't be fooled. Just wait. Because one day, Christ is going to come in his glory and you will be revealed for who you really are. And the world, Caesar, will be blown away. Don't be fooled. It's hidden, I know that, but don't be fooled. So, why, is, why does Paul have to uh, bring that up to the church? I think there's two reasons. One is it's just good to remind folks that what we see is not really all that's going on. It's good to remind people of that. There's another thing that's going on. Paul is in, in jail at this point. Who's got the power? Paul's in jail. He's under house arrest in Rome. And he's, he's dictating these letters. And he hears reports of these churches. And he hears reports of the church of Colossae that they're behaving, they're behaving, in a, they're behaving as, though, as though Caesar is Lord. They're not behaving as if Christ is Lord. Let's, uh, let's pick it up at verse 5. Ooh, Life in the Matrix. We're going to have a pop culture reference coming up. Get excited. Okay. All right. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life, that life in the matrix. Pop culture reference coming up, get excited. When you were living that life in the matrix. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. 
If you've seen The Matrix, I, I wanted to talk about The Matrix mostly because in the high school youth group we call Austin Neo, and Neo is the main character in The Matrix. <laughs> Great pop culture reference, Tom, good. Uh, uh, anyway, in The Matrix, what's going on, basic plot of the story, is that, is that everything you see is a lie. Right? Everything we see is a lie. The whole world is, is a lie. And there is a small group of people who have been liberated from this, and they see the world as it really is. And it's not a pretty place. In fact, it gets so bad that one of these people who has been liberated from this lie, who, who now sees the world as it really is, his name is Cypher, he wants more than anything to go back into the Matrix. He just wants to get back in because he, he thinks that's where the real good life is. It's better to have the lie than the truth. And this is exactly the th- same, same thing that happened in Colossae. There were some people who were looking out and they were like, you know what? If Caesar is Lord, he's got everything worked out for me. If I just play by Caesar's rules, I can have all the things I really want. The sex. Wherever my passions take me. Mine. Caesar has it. Caesar says, come, come to me. Come to me. I will, I will give you your sex. And, and, if, and if it's not sex, maybe it's money, possessions, land. And Caesar says, I have a whole system of economic trade and mercantilism for you to get everything you want. Just come. Come to me. I've made it okay for you. And then he also says, if, if it just happens that in your pursuit of whatever it is that you want, someone gets in your way, you know what to do. Abusive language, malice, anger, slander. There are plenty of ways to get them out of the way. And if none of them work and you think you can get away with it, just kill them. Life in the matrix. Have everything you want. All from the hand of Caesar. Do you see it? Caesar's ways are the ways you once followed, verse 7, when you were living in the matrix. When you were still living a lie, when you were seeing things through Caesar's eyes, hey, it was pretty good, right? A little sex, a little money, a little passion, evil desire, whatever you want. But the thing is, Paul is saying, he's saying, you aren't those people anymore. You know the truth. What's the truth? Christ is at the right hands of God and he has power. I know it doesn't look like that, Colossians. I understand that. But Christ is at the right hand of God and he has power. Now, I have this... uh, the, the, The professor who taught me Greek, his name was Del Gray, he was very... He was a very funny man. He, he, he sweated a lot, and he was very uh, excited all the time. So he'd like, okay, are you guys ready for, you ready for Greek? Yeah. And the funny thing is, his excitement was, was so overwhelming that at some point during the quarter, I was like, wow, I really love Greek. And his, have you had a teacher like that at some point? 
Well, Dell's favorite thing that Paul did is, is what he would call um, a, a, turn to, a turn to metaphor crazy town. Paul, because he imagined Paul sitting here in his, uh, in his, in his jail cell, right? And, and Paul's, Paul can't write. His, his eyesight's pretty bad at this point. And so he dictates. And as he's dictating, he's just going back and forth. And he's like this. He's like, okay, so, so the church, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like a tree. It's organic. And it's gonna, it's gonna explode out. And, and it's gonna go everywhere. And then, um, and then, and then at the final day, we're, we're gonna get into our, we're gonna have the wedding of the bridegroom and the lamb. And so, so, you see what he just did? He like just changes metaphors in the middle, like, you know, it's tree metaphor, it's bright. Paul does this all the time. And Dell loved it, because that's how Dell was. He's like, oh. I don't know, wait, why did I tell you that story? Oh, right, because that's what's going to happen in, in the text right now. Okay, yeah, got it. Next, uh, next text. Yeah. Put on that dress, it's your wedding. Big metaphor shift right here, okay? Paul was talking about um, heavens and, and earth, and now he's going to talk about the, the last day, the wedding of uh, the bride and the lamb. He says, you have clothed yourselves, listen for the metaphor, you have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, dress up in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with each other, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, drape yourselves in love, which ties the whole ensemble together in perfect harmony. If your New King James isn't going to read quite like that, I these things. But Paul is using he's using get squeeze into that wedding dress language. That's what he's using because here's the thing, Colossians. If you just see the real reality that Christ has the power, and you remember that He's coming and you're going to be revealed in glory, your wedding day is fast approaching, you've got to get dressed. You've got to dress up. I did, my, I did my first wedding last week, two weeks ago. It was awesome. It was on the beach. It was really cool. But one thing that always blows the mind is when the bride first appears, right? She's in her dress. And it was cool because, I mean, for the first time, you know, I was kind of officiating, so I got to see her come down, and it was just like, wow, this is a celebration. This is something special, isn't it? And what Paul is saying, he's like, look at, look at you. You've, you've bought into the sly, you're back in the matrix, you're dressed up in Caesar's rags, and it's your wedding day. Inappropriate. Party foul. No. You need to slip into your dress. And what's that going to look like? How do we know what that is? Well, we need to have our knowledge renewed in the image of the Creator. That's what, verse 11, I think? Our knowledge renewed in the image of the Creator. What does that mean? 
Well, as is the case with Paul, pretty much any time he's talking about anybody, it's going to be Jesus. So, the image of the Creator, that's Jesus. So, in Jesus, we have a picture of what God is like. And what is that picture? Well, it looks an awful lot like an innocent man being tortured to death as a criminal. You remember? You remember Jesus? He's standing there, he's got the shackles on, he's been beat up, spat upon. I am the king, and I have the power. And the chief priests say, oh, you, you have the power? We'll teach you something about power. And they torture him to death. And we as Christians confess that they didn't teach Jesus a lesson, he taught them a lesson. The real power is being able to absorb in our community the anger and the hate of the world and to let it go. That's God's power. The real power in the Christian community is to take all the lines that divide and destroy them and do away with them and come together as one people. I I thought about doing a, a different translation of that no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. Scythians, by the way, were like the worst barbarians ever. You couldn't have a worse barbarian than Scythian. They were, they were maybe like we would think of like cannibals, was, was at the, the, the level of, of badness that they were. So if you were to you know, bring that into now speak, 21st century speak, it would be something like, um, in that renewal, there's no longer illegal aliens and legal citizens. There's no longer um, rich and poor. There's no longer Europeans and Americans. There's no longer black and white. And pick your favorite group that you dislike and recognize that that too has been destroyed. That's God's power. That's the power of the cross and that's the power of the one that we confess is sitting at the right hand right now. And if you remember that, that's going to start to change your mind. And you're just going to start to think differently. And you're going to say, you know what? Caesar doesn't rule this place. Christ rules this place. And Christ's power is the power of self-sacrifice. It is the power of self-giving. It is the power of being destroyed in the world's eyes. Okay. I hope... Does, I hope that you kind of, I mean, you, you see the text. I mean, does, uh, do, we, do we feel like we understand what Paul's doing in, in Colossians 3? Brent? Brent got it! Yes! Um, well then, I, I, I would say that I'm done, except that there's one more thing we need to talk about. Who is Caesar today? And are we, as a community, selling out to Caesar? Or are we slipping into our wedding dress?
In Caesar we trust. Ours says, in God we trust. I recommend to you that a lot of times what we really see is in the pursuit of happiness we trust. Who is Caesar? And are we selling out to him? There's a lot that goes on in this world. Um, and I, I, at this point in my life, don't feel qualified to <laughs> tell you um, exactly what's right and what's wrong. But I am, I'm fairly certain about this. If Paul were here today, and he were looking at the church in America, he would say, you are obsessed. You have turned your happiness into an idolatry. And you have found a way through capitalism to get everything you want. Fulfilling sexual relationships. Plenty of money. Lands, cars, microwaves. As I was writing this part of the sermon, I, was, I, I saw my microwave and I was like, huh, that's nice. Microwaves. I can't, I, 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 don't, I don't know everyone here and I don't know your personal lives, but I do know this. We are bombarded every day by images that say, you just got to get this and you just need this. And hey, play by our rules and you'll be fine. And I'm asking you to look with different eyes, to be reminded that that's not true. The dollar doesn't rule and, and neither does IBM and, and, and neither do, do, does President Bush. No, you know who rules? Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, is sitting at the right hands of God in power. And he is calling this community to completely give up the world's version of power and the world's version of status because Caesar is a lie. And Christ is not. He's saying... He's at the right hand of power and He's coming. You're hidden right now, but you're going to be revealed in glory. There's going to be a beautiful wedding. Get into your dress. And what does that look like? Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put up with each other and forgive. And drape yourselves like, like, like the belt that ties the whole thing together. That perfect belt is love. Love each other. Now, I'm not a big fan of beating the sheep. Have you heard that term, beating the sheep? It's where you just get up there and you're like, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in that. Um, what I do believe in is calling out a witness. So I'm going to do that right now. You want to see someone who's slipping into her wedding dress? I give you Marianne Fisher. You want to see someone who lives as though Christ has power and not the world? I give you Marianne Fisher. Marianne's getting a little bit older. But you know something? If you can just look a little farther than you can see with the eyes of faith, you can see she's in her wedding dress. 
And she's beautiful. And we are being called to imitate that as a community. To see the real truth, the real reality, and get out of the matrix. And get into our wedding dress. And be kind to each other. And to say no to the lies of Caesar. And to say yes to the power of Christ. I'm going to pray right now. Um, We're going to close up. And what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm going to ask God on our behalf to let us see just a little farther than our eyes see. And to squeeze us into our wedding dress. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is our confession that You are God and that despite how it looks, Jesus is the Christ and sits at Your right hand in power. Heavenly Father, open our eyes and let us see just a little farther. And let us see that we are hidden now, but our lives are about to explode into glory when Your Christ is revealed. And Father, let us live as though that's true. Let us drape ourselves in love. And let us shock the world with the power of an innocent man tortured to death as a criminal. We confess the risen Lord. We confess Your power. We love You. And we do all things in the name of Jesus. Amen.